give it up for Jesus. God bless America. You're in God blessed America today. God is good. Let's open up our Bibles to the book of Ephesians, chapter 1. We're in a sermon series on the book of Ephesians. Today is Enlightened to Hope. Everybody say Enlightened to Hope. Thank you. I want to teach you today about being enlightened. I'm going to show you that this belongs in the Bible. It doesn't belong in Buddha's teachings. It doesn't belong in Hinduism. You can be a meditational expert and never put on one pair of yoga pants and not have to become a vegan. Can I get an amen for some meat lovers up in the place? I'm going to show you that meditation was before there was ever a false religion called Hinduism or gurus. Meditation was built into the human body. It was built into the success of the human experience. You were meant to have enlightenment. Let's get into it. We're going verse by verse through the book of Ephesians. Right now we're in Paul's prayer in verse 15. We started the book of Ephesians in February and we're at verse uh, 18 right now of chapter 1. I think we'll be going through the book of Ephesians until my children graduate college and that's okay. How many are enjoying the book of Ephesians? Read the book if you can't, uh, if you don't, if you haven't already, read it. And if you don't have a lot of time, put it by audio Bible and listen to it while you work. Verse 15, for this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. This is the verse for today. Let's read it together. One, two, three. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glory glorious inheritance in his holy people. Now notice last week we talked about the prayer of Paul. He keeps asking that through the spirit of wisdom and revelation, we would know God the Father and the Son better. So Father, Son, Spirit. He's praying to the Father that we would know Jesus by the Spirit. And that comes from wisdom and revelation. You don't just get that by going out with your friends and having a good time. You get it from the Holy Spirit. You get it from God's Word. It's intentional. When I go out witnessing at Wright College, that's where I'm going every Monday right now, when I go out there and I talk to people and I ask them, have you been born again? If they say, I don't know, maybe, I'm like, no, I can definitely tell you haven't. Because being born again is not like, you know, like, like somebody talking to me like, you know, I'm, a, I'm their gringo pastor and somebody's like, pastor, have you tried the empanada, the chicken empanada? Have you tried pastor tacos before? And I'm like, man, I don't know, maybe I did. I don't know. You know, have you tried mofongo? You know, there's, there's things I may have tried that I forgot. Can I get an amen? You guys hook me up all the time and I love of it all. You're right. And pastor tacos are one of my favorite tacos. And it's not just because I'm a pastor, but pastor tacos are the best. Am I saying it right? Pastor? El pastor. I forgot the L. How important is that L to it? Because I don't say the L. I just call them up and I'm just like pastor tacos. I need to say the L. I will make sure I say it now. Please forgive me. I try this. Okay. Now watch. If you don't know if you've been born again, if you haven't been born again, it doesn't happen by accident. It's like I, maybe I tried it that one time at a church. Maybe I did it and I don't know. No, as surely as you were born the first time and you know you are here, that's how you're born again the second time in your spirit and you know God's with you. Can I get an amen? It's a real experience. It's a life-changing experience. It's like saying I was a part of a hurricane, but I didn't feel anything. No, if you were in the path of a hurricane, you felt something. If you've been born again, you know it and you've experienced it. So here 
here's the deal. It's the same thing with the spirit of wisdom and revelation. As the old song used to go, I once was blind, but now I see. I once was dead, but now I'm alive. And the idea is, is that literally you did not see the world this way. Your mind was not open to the wisdom of it. That's why you were having sex before marriage. That's why you thought drunkenness was fun. That's why you thought people could be confused about their genders or whatever else in this world you didn't have wisdom on. When you became a Christian, lights turned on, wisdom came, revelation came. How many experienced that? Okay, now watch. Let's keep going. Now, verse 18 says, he's praying that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Well, that comes through wisdom and revelation, that you may know these three things. Catch it. He wants you to know the hope. He wants you to know the glorious inheritance. And now verse 19, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. What does God want us to know? Number one, hope. Number two, what? Inheritance. And number three, what? Power. So that takes you praying. See, that's important. Paul's praying that you pray to experience these things. These will not happen by accident. You will not just wake up one day and go, oh, I'm born again. I'm wise. It's been revealed to me. I'm enlightened to God's hope. I'm enlightened to his inheritance and power. No, as a matter of fact, it's exactly the opposite. These things are like hidden treasures in the world that you could go your whole life without ever experiencing them. You could go your whole life hopeless and never understanding that there's hope. You could go your whole life not understanding there's an inheritance for you on the other side of eternity, and you could live your whole life powerless, not knowing that you have power over the enemy. You know, Halloween is coming up, and everybody likes to dress up and do all these things. I say, why dress up as demons when you can come to church and have them cast out? Okay, so what they think is powerful is not powerful. Jesus considers the devil a serpent that he has stomped underneath his feet. But once again, some people are living hopeless without an inheritance and powerless. And Paul is praying, I want your eyes, what they would call your third eye, your spiritual eye, your inner eye to be woke to the hope. That's beyond the scope of your human limitation. That you would see there is an inheritance for those of us who are born again. For those who are not born again, it's going to be a tremendous, terrifying uh, damnation. Okay? So it's either you get a glorious inheritance or you're damned forever. It's your choice, really. And I don't say that lightly. And then the Bible says you get to know his power. How many want to go through life knowing God's power? Amen. Let's keep going. Verse 20. When he exerted, so this power is the same mighty strength that he exerted. When he raised Christ from the dead, seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule, authority, power, and dominion, every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in one to come. How many believe there's an age to come? There's a kingdom coming, amen? And then in verse 22 and 23, the end of the prayer, and God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. How many things does God fill? Everything in how many ways? Every way, amen. That's the prayer of Paul. We're going through it. We got nine things in the prayer of Paul. If you just joined with us, you came at a perfect time because you're catching the revelation with us. We've talked about faith and love, the giving of thanks to our Father. The last week was the spirit of revelation and of wisdom. Today, we're talking about being enlightened to God's hope. Next week, enlightened to his inheritance. Week after that, enlightened to God's power. Then we'll talk about Jesus being the name above every name, Jesus then being the head of the church and how it incorporates his power. God is using the church to bring forth his power and then how he fills every thing in every way. Somebody say enlightened. 
Thank you. I want you to think about it because I think it's about time that we start putting Proverbs back in fortune cookies. Amen. I think it's time we start teaching the world what we have to offer. Enlightenment is not like Buddha sitting up under a, a juniper tree trying to think of nothing and get free from suffering. Jesus took our suffering, paid it for it on the cross, rose from the dead, and Buddha's still in the grave. Are you listening? I ain't got nothing to listen to learn from that person. I'll tell you what, we need to get back to understanding what you were made for. The purpose of who you are is attached to your spiritual soul. And your spiritual soul needs to be awoken, enlightened, literally means to have the light come on and things to become clear. So imagine uh, people go to a funeral today, and sadly there's people in our church who have even lost someone. They're going to be planning the funeral this week. When they go into that funeral home, they are going to be enlightened to what's happening there. See, think of it like this. Other people are going to walk in there, and it's going to be a gray spiritual environment, and it's going to be like a cloud in that place of sorrow and sadness. But the Christian can walk in there and see the sun shining bright, the sky's clear blue. It's not that they're not sad like other people, but the Bible says we don't mourn like the world mourns. We know there's hope beyond the grave. He didn't stay dead. He rose up, and all those who call upon his name raise up. Amen? And you may say, well, what if so-and-so doesn't? Well, too bad for him. I am. And this reminds me that one day that day's coming. Some of y'all get quiet when I preach like that. You may say, well, what if my brother doesn't make it? Well, too bad for him. You better be at that grave and understand your spiritual state. When I walk into that place, because you know pastors be doing funerals, we marry, bury, and baptize. That's pretty much what we do, right? Marry, bury, and baptize. When I come to the funeral, I say, thank you, Jesus, I'm alive, and one day I'm getting up out of there. I'm not thinking about them on judgment day. I'm not thinking about whether or not they made it. That's between them and God. All this reminds me is that my stuff's going to die pretty soon too. I better be ready to meet Jesus. Amen. How about hope? Hope is that joyful and confident expectation of God's promises to come to pass. It's the thing we have faith for. The Bible says faith is the is is faith is the oh, faith is the expectation. Oh Lord. Somebody say it. Hebrews 11 substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Thank you. You know, sometimes you get tongue-tied. I, I, I just got those two words confused there, but look at it. Faith is confidence and what we hope for. So they're very similar. Remember in 1 Corinthians 13, the famous marriage passage, these three remain faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is Love, right? Okay. So faith is what we have to possess until our hope comes. And hope is the thing that we're having faith in, the promise of God coming to pass. One day we will not need faith in our hope, the things of God, God's hope rather, because the hope will have come to fulfillment and we'll be face to face with it. So right now we need faith for the things we're hoping for. Does that make sense? Okay, let me make it plain. Okay, how many single folks? All the single people make some noise. All right, single folks. All right, here you go. Do you got faith that one day you'll be single no more? I don't know. It got quiet. Do we, do we have a lot of single people that want to stay single the rest of their life? I guess so. One more time. How many single people do we have? Okay, how many single people have hope of getting married one day? Okay, all right. Now, those of you making noise, if you're single, get ready to mingle. Okay, it's time. This is your time. So what, what are you hoping for, single people? You're hoping that you will get married. What do you do now until then? Have faith. 
And faith is an action, a trust in God's word. Remember, I can say all day long, I have faith in the skydiving company, you know, Skydive Chicago. I have faith in that plane. I have faith in that skydiving instructor. I, I have faith in the parachute working. But that's not the biblical faith. What is biblical faith? Me getting on that plane, having that skydive instructor strapped to me and pulling that cord. So don't have make-believe, have real faith. That's the difference between having true faith and make-believe. Make-believe is just you saying you believe all kinds of stuff, but don't invest your life into it. The biblical faith is what you invest your life into. It's really a trust. It's a trust in, it's a trusting, a continual trust in God. And it's for the things you hope for. I'm hoping today for 100,000 disciples to come into Chicago. Don't you believe we need them here? City of 8 million people are sure enough people to get. I keep getting these promotional things from Facebook to do ads on Facebook, and they keep telling me this, and it makes me want to pray. It says, you can reach, with, you can reach within one mile radius of your location 130,000 people. I don't know how true that number is, but I bet you it's really close to a city like Chicago and where we are right here. Within a mile radius, there's 100,000 people. There needs to be a church of that size in this area. Amen? Come on, somebody. And then what I do is I have faith in God until that time. I have faith in God today for a big family. Now, I have five children down, but I think I got about seven more to go. I still got faith. And you know I got to, you know, faith without works is what? Dead. So I got to get to work. Amen. I got to get to work. And it's a good job to have making babies. Amen. It's a good job. Now, don't do it before you get married because it will cost you your soul. It will. Sex ain't worth going to hell over, but once you are married, sex is a beautiful thing, and God said, oh, bless it. Well, now just look at your life. What are the things that you are hoping for? Now begin to have faith in God. Line up your dreams and expectations to what God has for you, because not everything you're hoping for may be in God's plan, and that's part of maturity. You may be hoping for a Bugatti, but God wants to give you a Camry, okay? You, you may be hoping to live, you know, in a mansion, and God just want to get you to pay off that credit card right now, and and there may be some people that are going to live in mansions because I don't want to limit your dream, okay? Because, if, listen, if you want to go to church in Bugatti, this church is for you. Amen. We ain't going to hate on you. Pull up that Bugatti. Just take me for a ride in it. Just show me off with your friends. Be my pastor right here, you know? And I'll be like, hey, I'm his pastor. But, dude, I'm totally cool with that. I am so cool with that. I'm not intimidated by those who have a lot of wealth. You can be wealthy in this church and be blessed. We don't look down upon the wealthy nor the poor. We believe that everybody can serve God. Seek first his kingdom, and all these things will be added unto you. But make sure you're lining up your expectations with him. Maybe somebody is here today, and you are the next inventor of something, like the woman who developed Spanx. And I know it's a little silly thing to talk about in church, women's pantyhose, so guys, bear with me. But ladies know what I'm talking about. This woman designed it, and it's a billion-dollar business now, okay? And for the guys, you know, the people who designed the iPhone, I could be for anybody, women, but I'm trying to compliment to the men now. You know, whatever we are using today, people design that. You may be a designer of some new product. You may be the next Hobby Lobby, the next Walmart, the next Amazon, the next Google, the next Facebook. So have a hope that lines up with God's expectation. Can I hear an Amen. It's like, what is your purpose? See, for me to have the hope outside of God's expectation is rebellion. So God may say, uh, you know, I may say to God, God, I love fishing, and I really do. And I may say, God, oh, man, I would just love to live in Key West, you know, walk around in sandals all the time, you know, like one of those tank tops, you know, and just have a little house right there. Well, that may be my little make-believe dream, but I got to run that by God because God may say, no, that ain't for you. You're called to Chicago, man. You're called to where it's rough and 
is tough. You call with the hente, man. You got to go to the hood. You got to reach people. <laughs> I lost you on that, but you know, like you got to reach people, man. You got to reach the, the people downtown. You got to reach people in the neighborhoods. You got, and, and I may be thinking in my mind, I just want to go fishing. I just want everybody to leave me alone. Well, I better line up my expectation to what God wants. Because if it is God's plan for me to be a fisherman in Key West, then I better go off in that direction and start, uh, you know, doing that. But if that's just something I've placed in my heart, then what do I do? I say, God, not my will, but your will be done. And then guess what? I will be most happiest when I'm in the will of God. I'll be most satisfied in the things of God when God becomes everything to me. And so this is my Key West. That Fox River I went to yesterday, go fishing, is my ocean. You know, you are my beach-loving friends. How many people love some beaches, though? Come on, I see you all taking vacations. We all got some beach-loving people in here. But this is my family. This is my home. And literally, if I tried to go do that outside of God's plan, that would be like hell on earth, wouldn't it? It would cost me more than I'm willing to pay. So let's put it together, enlightenment and hope. How do we do it? And this is where I'm going to sit down. I'm going to chill because I want to go slow today. I don't want to lose anybody. I feel like when we talk about enlightenment, we so easily get into the mindset of the Eastern philosophies, you know. Uh, But there's a reason why Eastern philosophy has a bit of success. And the reason why it has that bit of success is because it's tapping into natural principles. And sadly, uh, Christians haven't done it. So let me just talk about this just for a second. If I were to cut my arm today, whether I'm a Christian, a Buddhist, a Hindu, it doesn't matter. Inside my body, my DNA, a human body, you have it to skin, will begin to repair itself. It will begin to fill up the wound. It will heal. The scar will come over with new skin, and eventually it will go away. That's how God made the skin. So it doesn't matter what religious belief I have, skin will react that way. Well, guess what? What did the Eastern people find out? If you meditate and set your mind on things, live healthy, exercise, whatever, may do a little kung fu, whatever you will start to have a more mind at peace. Your body will begin to be at peace. And so they kind of adopted that and made a religion around that. And then Christians began to look at them like, wow, you guys are so weird. Not understanding that all of our people of the Bible practice meditation. They all did. Matter of fact, Psalm 1 starts off with the command to meditate. Blessed is the man who meditates on your law day and night. The Bible says that when Jacob went out to pray, he went to go look at the stars and to meditate. Just do a word study. I've already got 20 scriptures here, and I can't talk about meditation right now because I've done it before. But look it up in the Bible. And it's not sitting like this. It's not weird mantras. What it is is it's meditating on God's word and God's love. And you were made to do that, okay? So here's how we get enlightened to hope. We're going to talk about being enlightened to God's inheritance next week and enlightened to power. we got to learn about enlightenment. Somebody say, bring it. Okay, here we go. Let me start with the basics for everybody to get this. You are not just a body. You are also a spiritual soul. How many already believe that? Okay, let me help those who don't, and if anybody's watching, let me just tie it together. Here's how I know you're not just a body. We're going to use science. Science belongs to God. Logic belongs to God. Math belongs to God because God created the world, okay? Here's just scientifically, it's very simple. Let's do some observations. Imagine right now we have x-rays, and we can x-ray every part of you, including your brain. We can actually scan your brain, put, put a brain scan on there, see the different things lighting up. Are you those things? No. How do we know? Because you're observing those things. Think about it. 
You're not the brain because you can look at your brain. Isn't that kind of weird to think about? Don't get scared, but it's real. It's like right now they could give you a brain scan, and you can look at your brain, and they'll start lighting up different lobes of the brain. Synapses are going off in the brain, and you're making it do that. So that must mean you're not that. The next thing is, is that the physical world is measurable. Every single thing in the entire physical world is measurable. From telescopes to microscopes, it's measurable. From sound to light is measurable. We can measure your brain. We can measure the sound coming out of your body. We can measure the weight and the mass and the circumference. We can measure the pressure that your heart produces through the veins and blood. Can we measure you? What about the thought that we have right now in our minds? Can you measure that? You can't. You can't measure the you inside of you. That must mean you're not a body. Sounds really simple, but those are actually the deepest things scientists are discovering right now. They used to think you were just a machine in the 1800s and the early 1900s, and psychology was dealing with you as you were an animal of instinct, and they pumped you full, well, not you, but humanity, full of medication, and they found out it changed nothing. They thought they could deal with uh, um, psychiatric problems by just giving you psychiatric drugs, but they began to find out it didn't work. As a matter of fact, within the last 50 years, they have discovered more about the neuroscience of the brain than ever before. And guess where it comes from? It goes back to the Bible. It all goes back to the Bible. And so I have a book on here you guys can look up, uh, Switch on Your Brain by Dr. Carolyn Leaf. She's a Christian neuroscientist. You can enjoy that. And I have a bunch of other books. I have about 20 books on neuroscience, some by Christians and non-Christians, but they're all saying the same thing. Because remember, a Christian and a non-Christian are going to say, say the same thing about the clotting of the blood on the skin, Right? A Christian and a non-Christian are going to say the same exact thing about the eclipse that came, right? They're going to understand gravity. Does a Christian and a non-Christian do math differently? Does a Christian get a different answer to 2 plus 2 than the atheist? No. So here's the deal. Put back on your Bible glasses and start seeing all the science of the Christian worldview, okay? That's the first thing that I want you to understand is that you are a spiritual soul. All science is passing, uh, it's coming towards us, and the, the old way is going away, and they're realizing this. Okay, now the next thing that we have to understand is that not all spirits are the same. Not all spirits are the same. It's a principle that not all spirits are the same. You and I are of the same substance, just like our bodies are of the same substance, our souls are of the same spiritual substance, but they're not the same. Some of you have good souls. Some of you have bad souls. Some of you with good souls are dealing with spiritual problems that others are not dealing with, and then your neighbor may be dealing with spiritual problems you're not dealing with. Does that make sense? Your body is reacting to different things than my body, though we both have a physical body. Our soul is the same. What makes a good soul? What makes a bad soul? Born again, not born again. You're born with a corrupted soul, the Bible says. That's why Jesus had to die on the cross, raise again from the dead, so you could be born again internally. That's what separates good from bad there. Now, what makes the soul free in the Christian? Because I'm believing we're all wanting to be Christians or are Christians. Amen? How many of you love Jesus? Okay, come on. You want to be free. So to be free, you must apply the spiritual principles of the Bible. That means you don't go to the horoscope from the satanic spirit to expect something good to happen in your spirit. 
Come on, Forrest Gump said it pretty good. Stupid is as stupid does. That's stupid. Don't do that. You don't go to pornography to satisfy your sexuality. Hello, somebody. That's stupid. You're spiritually doing the wrong thing with your body. Now, think of your spiritual soul as the driver of your physical body. When the Bible speaks about putting the flesh to death and living alive in the spirit, what it is talking about is is talking about your flesh as a brain, senses, and temptations through stimuli being put down by the Spirit, subjected to the Spirit's desire as the Holy Spirit leads you. Are you guys tracking? This is just the first of two introductions. I'm going as fast as I can. How many are following me? For a lot of you, you got this, but I got to go slow because we got new people, right? Okay, so now watch. Stimuli comes through the physical body, but I'm not a creature of instinct. Remember, brain goes down in the grave and turns into dust. Spirit and soul go to heaven. So what does that mean? Mind and brain, separate. Willpower and physical stimuli, separate. Emotions and senses, separate. Soul on this side, soul, mind, will, emotions is separate from instinct, trigger, feelings, senses, stimuli, brain. Are you with me? Okay, now track. A woman has that time of the month. And all of a sudden, let me just go through this quickly, but it helps. She starts to react differently because her body is facing chemical stimuli. And now things change in her physiological body that affect her spiritual state. It will start off as easily agitated, but if she doesn't subject it, she will allow the body to lead her into impatience and anger and all those things. And all the husband said... Amen. Don't be ashamed now, man. Come on. We're talking about this. And the same thing is with pregnant women. The hormones, it's changing, right? Even after having the baby, they say you have to be careful with postpartum because things are changing. Now watch. Let me make it towards the men, and I know it can go for the women, but I'm just trying to deal with the genders. Men can become hangry, same thing. The hormones, the imbalance of food, the low blood sugar, now it's a trigger, right? So the man, he doesn't intend to come home, be angry, be impatient, but because of the stimuli, the senses, the brain, the feelings, he's now dealing with the flesh. He has a decision, just as the woman does on, on her menstrual cycle. How do I subject the flesh to the will of God? Can I get an amen? Come on, everybody with me, ladies and men. Now, that was simple. Let's go to the next level. Men, women, see sexual beings get tempted sexually. Where is that coming from? Your sexuality based in your physiology. Your eyes are stimulating your brain. Your brain is releasing the hormones. Your hormones, blah, 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 boom. You see, this is happening naturally according to your body. But you are not a creature of instinct, a dog in heat. You get to choose what you do with your lust. You get to choose what you do with this stimuli of discomfort. We raise up the heat in here, make it a lot hotter than what it is. You will have to choose what you do with your stimuli. Your ears begin to hear people talking about you. Your brain regards it as something that's triggered and you're needing to defend yourself. You're in danger, fight or flight. You have a choice to how you react to this stimuli of jealousy and of anger. Is everybody with me? Okay, now watch. God wants you to develop your spiritual soul in union with him 
so that you can have the peace, the joy, what we call the fruit of the Spirit flourishing from your spiritual life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control, right? And so where do we receive those things from? The enlightenment that God gives us. So we have to start making time every day to develop our soul, to line it up to the will of God. We need to look at our spiritual nature in the image of Christ and line up who we are to him. So just like you may be like me, you go get your haircut, you point to somebody and say, I want it like this. I point to George Clooney. Make me like him, please. George Clooney right here, salt and pepper. I want to be like that. Some of you go in and you're like, J-Lo, make me like this. And you're like, no, that's not happening here. Others, I'm just saying, yeah, I'm just saying, come on, I'm just teasing. Now, you, but watch, we all need to go to the Bible and say, make me like that. Design my attitude like that. Line me up like this. I will not use excuses of the flesh to keep me away from that image. So if I desire sexuality outside of the way God designed it, God changed me, not God changed your law. Don't change the Bible, God. That's stupid. I'm not asking you to change what the Bible says. It's quite clear. You made Adam and Eve. So I'm not asking you to change that. I'm asking you to change me. I'm not asking you, God, to give me the ability to beat people up. I'm saying, Lord, help me to subject my anger by the power of the Holy Spirit to the Word of God. Is everybody tracking because if you don't get that, you're going to miss the purpose of what Paul is praying. Paul is praying that you become enlightened. And in this, Romans chapter 12 says, your mind begins to be renewed. You will start literally to see things that you didn't see before. So things that used to trigger you will not trigger you anymore. And this is my last thing on this because I want to pull in a little bit more science. You can look up Dr. Keith Ward. He is the leading expert in OCD. And this is how they're doing it. What they do is they actually show them the scans of their brain in real time during their OCD episodes, and they're purposely exposing. It's called exposure therapy, and they show them, okay, uh, somebody didn't wash their hands, and they touched you. Now look at the monitor. Look what's happening in your brain right now. This is what's happening, but guess what? You can control that. Let's take a step back, and what they'll do is they'll invoke empathy. They'll give them a, a picture of their child, and they'll say, now look at your child. Look at your child and begin to believe a different narrative about what you just saw. Believe the narrative of, it's okay if they didn't wash their hands, I'll be all right. And looking at the child, invoking a different emotion, something to get their mind off of it, then reprogramming, speaking to themselves, thinking to themselves, another narrative because everybody else sees the same, who's not OCD, sees somebody touch them, it's not a big deal. We're not all Howie Mandel, right? So they tell this, the narrative, and now guess what? Here's, here's the cool part of science. The brain of the anxiety, the brain of the stress portion of the brain starts to decrease, and the part over here of a fully functioning brain starts to increase. Guys who have done over 10,000 scans have seen this over time. Dr. Keith Ward and others, I have all their books, non-Christians, by the way, but they're just showing us what we've already known in the Bible because the Bible says in Romans chapter 12, renew your mind. Offer your body as a living sacrifice to God and do what's pleasing for him. And so here's, here's where we need to be a little bit gentle, but I need to be stern. You are the way you are because you want to be that way. And I'm sorry to say it that way because some of you maybe had a lot of pain done to you and you're saying, I, I, don't, I don't want it. I didn't choose it. But here's the thing. You're choosing how you're reacting to it now. 
You can't travel in a time, a time, time traveling ship and take away what that person did to you, but you can change the narrative of how you're speaking to yourself. And the problem is, here's the introduction. I got to end the first one because I got two more to go. Here, here it is, is you got 30,000 thoughts running wild on your brain and you're not controlling them and you can. You can. You can Talk to yourself instead of just thinking to yourself. And when the word of God is involved, because remember, this is working for non-Christians as well. This is the best of psychology and psychiatry right now. Just with the arm cutting, like I said, medicine works for Christians and non-Christians. It's working. This is the best. But what advantage does the Christian have? The Christian has the power of God. They have the hope beyond just the scope. So they're telling, you know, they're telling the person that's depressed today, it's not that bad. Retell yourself the narrative. I'll get another job. Maybe this door closed for a better purpose. But if you don't have God's purpose in there, you can see how that can spiral back again into hopelessness. Because what if I don't get another job? And what if I don't get better from cancer? And what if I die? And what happens when I die? You see, that leads to depression. But what puts a stop to that for the Christian is, what if I die? I go to heaven. What if I don't get another job? I just learned to pray more with my time. Everything comes back down to, it goes back to God. Because remember this, watch this, we're learning to be enlightened to God's hope, not your children's hope. I don't have hope in my children. I have hope in the God of my children. And so listen, my mother and father are here, mom and dad, raise your hands, give it up for mom and dad in the house, come on. All the way from sunny Florida, where it's a cool 95. They're enjoying some Midwest coolness right now. But anyways, I was there when we buried my sister, my mom's daughter. was there. She died drinking and driving. Listen, my mom had to make a decision. I will either put my hope in her and she died and my hope dies, or I will put my hope in the God who always lives. Can't put your hope in children. Children will let you down. Can't put your hope in marriage. They'll let you down. You put your hope in the God of marriage. You put your hope in the God of children, the God who makes children and gives life. You don't put your hope in the dollar. Dollars put their hope in God, otherwise it's meaningless. It's written there on our dollar to remind us, in God we trust. And so where are we getting into the ditches? All of us, me, you, everyone. Where are our worst days coming from? Our worst days are coming from when we're darkened to the hope of God, putting our hope in things that let us down. Where do our best days come from when we put our hope in God and see what he's doing? And once again, it works for the non-Christian as well as for the Christian. Study the studies that I've looked at cancer patients. Who are the ones that survive? The ones that have low stress levels and believe that they can survive through it because the medicine takes better to their body. Your body is not meant to heal itself while it's stressed out. It has to be at rest for the body to heal. Are you listening? Who are the ones that survived the Holocaust? I'm going to talk about some suffering in life here. I got 15 minutes left. Please be patient with me. Who are the ones who survived the Holocaust? The ones who had hope. Who are the ones who made it through the antebellum slave trade in North America, the African Americans. It was the ones that had hope. Who are the ones who made it through the Trail of Tears, Native Americans? Who are the ones who made it out of the Aztec and Mayan empires while they were being tortured and sacrificed and their hearts were being ripped out? Watch Apocalypto, right? It was the ones who had hope. And now go back through your life and think about it. Didn't it work? I remember watching some of my pastor friends. They would be on long trips. We'd be doing missionary trips and all this. And, and what would the married ones have when I was single? They would have a picture of their wife. This was before the cell phone. They had a picture of their wife. They set it next to their hotel bed. Why did they do that? Because that gave them hope through the long nights. 
that gave them hope. The people that I've seen graduate college, Bible college and the colleges that, and the careers that they're in. Because, you know, I've been passionate for over 20 years now. The ones who are doing their careers are the ones who had hope through the late nights, the ones that believe that they can make it. Now, once again, the Christian has the advantage because it's the will of God, not just our hopes and dreams. Non-Christians land on their hopes and dreams mostly by accident, and they don't give God the glory for the fact they had a brain that could even invent a computer, Steve Jobs, etc. But the Christians are hitting a target. Like the Martin Luther King Jr., I have a dream. They're hitting targets. Amen? Okay, so here we go. Here's God's Word. Look at what God's Word says. I'm going to use a lot of the Psalms here now because these set the pattern for meditation, and then we're going to get into it. In Psalm 1, 1941, may your unfailing love come to me, Lord, your salvation, according to your promise. Then I can answer anyone who taunts me. And sometimes we even taunt ourselves up here, don't we? For I trust in your word. Never take your word of truth from me, my mouth, for I have put my hope in your laws. So you put a man in jail if he has the law of God. Can he make it? If he has his trust in Jesus, can he make it? Everybody right now you love dies. You're the only one surviving, like you've heard stories about. You know, they're on a trip. My one friend, his wife and kids were on a trip in Mexico on vacation. The bus turned over. The whole family died. He gets the call. The whole family's gone. You're the only one left. He literally went from having a family, wife and kids, two kids, wife and kids, to having nothing by himself. Hopeless or hope? Hope. Why? Because he has hope beyond the scope. He has hope beyond the grave. He doesn't come there and see the dark cloud. He comes there and sees the sun shining. Now, remember, we're not playing make-believe, and we're not trying to make ourselves believe nonsense. You can't do that. You can be brainwashed, and you can try to brainwash yourself, but it's not true cognitive uh, belief. It is simply cognitive dissidence. You're disconnecting from reality. That's not what we're talking about. I'm not talking about the man who's just lost his family, coming to the funeral going, I'm so happy. I just lost my wife. I'm so happy. No, no, no. He's coming there going, I'm so sad, but I trust in God. I'm so sad, but I'll still trust in God. Every emotion he's filtering through the things of God. Every thought of hopelessness, he turns towards hope. I'll never get married and have family again. I'm, I'm devastated. But God, I trust you that I won't live a single life. You'll give me a new family because I never deserved the first one. Not that I replace them, but I don't have to live as a single man the rest of my life. He puts his hope in God. I told that to my wife. Some of you may be upset with that, but I told that to my wife. I said, honey, if you die, I'm going to remarry within a year. I can't be single. And I said, honey, if I die, you better get remarried. Take one of these single men. Say, brother so-and-so, I need you. My husband's died, pastor of the church. Why? Because we're not attaching our hope to each other. There's nothing, there's, see, we don't, the Bible says we don't mourn like the world. There, there is nothing a noble in carrying around depression for somebody. Like, oh, I'll never find a love again. They just, I, I loved them so much. No, they're gone, they're dust. Love the next one. Love the next one. And if you want to be single, that's your thing. But don't be some bitter cat lady because you lost your husband at a young, at a young age. You understand? If, if you lost your husband, I'm just telling you. My, another one of my friends just lost their husband to brain cancer. Uh, the wife, she died. They had a family of four. Wife died of cancer. Husband is gone. Now, he can walk around for the next two years if he wants, being depressed, or he can say, God, heal my heart. Show me my wife. See, what are you going to do? Same thing, you lose a job. You lose a child. I'm not saying you replace them. We have had people have miscarriages here. They could say, I give up on childbearing. There was a family, the Ramon family in our church that lost a baby, incubator, we were there, preemie, I mean, just devastating. And they could have said, we're done. We could, they could have shook in their fist at God. But they got busy, made two more babies, and they're ready to see that one Hezekiah when they go to heaven. 
You see, you don't get permission in the kingdom of God to celebrate death. We celebrate life. And so if you're celebrating death and you're not putting your trust in God, you get what you want at the end. So what do you want? I want life. Take it away from me. God will give it back, either in this life or the life to come. Let's look at the next one, Psalm 119.13. And by the way, I have no desire of ever leaving my wife. I think she's going to outlive me, and we're going to live a long life together. But I'm just being honest with you. I'm not going to let anybody take my hope of living on this earth and accomplishing what God has. And don't let anybody take it from you. Do it in honor of them. That's, that's what I would hope is you would want me to be happy. Amen. I want her to be happy. I hate double-minded people. Isn't that a happy thing to read in church? <laughs> Psalm 119.13. I hate double-minded people, but I love your law. Well, just think about that. The hate there is not saying we actually hate them as people. It's just hating what they do. And I hate it too. I hate when people act double-minded, when they try in one sense to say, oh, I believe in God, but then they freak out every time something goes wrong in life. That's double-mindedness, and you need to hate that in yourself because that double-mindedness is what leads you to despair every single time. Dr. Carolyn Leaf is writing the book, and this may freak some of you out as well, neuroscientist, right? She's writing the book, and uh, she's at a conference. Her daughter gets an extremely bad accident, says, uh, you know, the call comes from the, the sheriff, whatever. We have your daughter here. She She's about ready to preach. This is what God tells her. Preach, then take the next flight home. Everything was freaking out on the inside. I have to go. I have to go. You see why we think this way? It's because we think we're going to change the circumstance by being there four hours earlier. Listen, you're not the medical doctor. You're not God. You're not changing nothing. You don't change. We're not in control anyway. Where did we ever think that? You know, we, we, I understand we want to be there. Of course, it's natural. But, but why have to go now? If I have to preach, I'll preach. She lives or dies. She belongs to God. I'll be there when I be there. She's unconscious, whatever. Now, some of you in your mind, well, this last moment to see, all of this is Hollywood. All of this is the world trying to put fear into you. If I don't have any last words with my wife, I have no last words. It's okay. My last words were my last words. Some of you say, well, what if we get into a fight? So what? Don't let the devil condemn you. God knows your heart. See, people get beat up by these things all the time, and we need to stop thinking that way. I hate double-minded people. I love your law. You are my refuge and my shield. I put my hope in your word. Away from me, you evildoers, that I may keep the commands of my God. Sustain me, God. Come on, somebody say amen. According to your promise, sustain me according to your promise, and I will live. Do not let my hopes be dashed. Don't let my hopes be dashed. Anything we put our hope in other than God will be dashed. I put my hope in you, you're going to dash my hopes. I put my hope in my wife, she will dash my hopes. I put my hope in the God of my wife, I'll see my wife do a lot of great things in my life. But she doesn't get to hold my hope. You don't get to hold my hope. Nothing gets to hold my hope except my God. My God holds my hope, not my children, not this church, not my family, but I'm the best father when I put my hope in God. I'm the best husband. I'm the best worker. I'm the best pastor. Can I get an amen? Amen. Thank you. You reject all those who stray from your decrees for their delusions come to nothing. Now, this is where I got to sit back down because I don't want everybody to get mad at me. And by the way, it's Labor Day. Y'all don't have to work tomorrow anyway, so let's be here for a while, okay? That barbecue don't start till 3 o'clock anyway. Y'all cool right now, okay? Watch this. 
I'm telling you, suicide is a delusion. I'm not trying to tell you every suicidal person goes to hell because we don't know their soul, and it's not an unforgivable sin, okay? But I'm just saying it's a very deluded thing because you don't end your eternal life. You just took out a body and went to eternity really quick and faced judgment. And it's a delusion to think it gets better that way because if you didn't know God, it gets a whole lot worse that way. I didn't have time to read a scripture in the second service, so I, uh, first service, so I better get to it now. The Bible says it's more hope for an alive dog than a dead lion. I would rather be on a live chihuahua than a dead lion. So you better take advantage of the land of the living. Yes, you did not have a choice to be alive, but you're here. You exist. Now you better do something right with it. Otherwise, the next life may not be what you think it is. Take it serious. And then here's another thing about delusions is that most of the time you don't know you're deluded, right? They didn't know they were deluded in the matrix. They thought the matrix was real. And see, until you get enlightened, get out the matrix, you don't know there's a matrix. And so the people of the world, they love this world, they lust after the world, and they don't know that it's a delusion. It is literally a sandcastle, and what God wants to do is enlighten you to flip on the switch so you can understand why there's natural disasters like Harvey. You want to know why? Because Adam and Eve sinned in the beginning. You can understand why people die of cancer and children suffer in hospital clinics. It's because we disobeyed God and the curses upon our flesh, all alike, all of us will die some more miserably than others, but all of us will die. And some that live longer lives will wish they would have died quickly because they'll be drinking their lunch out of a straw in a nursing home like my grandmother did with pea-stained soup all over her, her blouse. And I cried and wept because that's not how I remembered my proper Italian mother. All of us will die, whether long or short, miserable or quick. So get over the complaining. There's death. Why? I'm enlightened to it now. God said if we sin, there will be death, and it's here. God was right again. But as truly as he said there would be death, there would be life. I'll trust in that. I'm awakened to the temptation of this world. I'm not my body, so I will not listen to my body. I listen to my spirit. And any spirit that comes other than that, your spirit, a demonic spirit, I'm going I'm to bring through the word of God. The Holy Spirit to my spirit by the word of God, that's how I live life, okay? Because everything else is a delusion, all the wicked of the earth you discard like dross. You will not feel sorry for them, nor will we feel sorry for them, okay? So anybody here, for my sweet grandmother who was born and raised Catholic, who I pleaded with on my hands and knees to ask her to be born again in her last years, and she said, oh, Joey, Joey, I go to the church, I go to the church. She was Polish, I go to the church. Listen, if she was not born again, she will go to hell, and I will not feel sorry for her. I will clap like this. Send her out. The Bible says we will applaud God on the day of judgment. Your tears are not for them on the day of judgment. The place where you see tears and wiping away is for the Christian not doing what they were supposed to do as they see people go to hell, and God says, I hold you accountable for their blood. You get to go to heaven, but I'm judging you for wasting your life. That's the tear, trust me. Because when we always say this, get rid of evil, get rid of evil, okay, let's start with you, let's start with you, let's start with you. And God wants to do it in the heart before he does it off the earth. So sweet grandmas better get born again before he cleanses the earth. When the kingdom of God comes, it's only those who have lived for him. Are you listening? And everybody will say to him, bravo. If I'm not there, you will be saying bravo. Okay? So you discard the wicked like dross. Therefore, <laughs> I love your statues. You may say, oh, he's so sadistic and mean. He just sends people to hell and then makes us love him. No, he doesn't. You can go to hell shaking your fist at him saying it's unfair, and that's the gift he gave you called free will. And you can go through life busted and disgusted. 
You can complain about all the things that happened to you. Say it's his fault and see where that ends you up because you will not shake your fist at your creator. He sovereignly created you. You are here. He's master, your servant. Decide who you will serve. And I suggest you love his law. I believe you have been made for that. You have a God-shaped hole on the inside of you that will not be filled until you do. You look at the world, you're distressed. You look inside, you are depressed. You look to Jesus, you will find rest. It is your choice and it is mine, amen? And let me just say this because I want to talk about mental illness because it's a real issue. Mental illness is like an expert guitar player trying to play their song with only three strings because the other three are broken. Mental illness is a physical thing that the soul is captured by because they are limited by the body to do those things, and God has mercy on the soul. He has mercy upon children, but you with a functioning brain will be held accountable to what you did, and that's why I don't talk about suicide because some of them may be really physically delusional as well, hallucinating, and I don't know. I just don't want to go there, but I will tell you this. All of us with fully functioning minds, we will be held accountable to what we did, so don't use the child with Down syndrome to give you an excuse to hate God and go to hell. No, the child with Down syndrome shows us the mercy and love of God. And you talk, we have people here, she's amen and Tina, we have others here that work with the disabled and they'll tell you there's somebody in there. There's a person in there, but it's like them trying to play a guitar with three broken strings. It's the same thing like somebody who's an expert at baseball. You put our glasses on them and it shifts the light and shifts perspective. They won't be able to hit the ball because they'll think the, 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 uh, Picture is over here, but he's really there. They can't see it per- properly. And so what God does is he delivers them at death from the body of uh, illness. And so we have mercy on them. That's why we don't kill down children. We got down syndrome. We treat them with human uh, dignity. That's why we don't kill uh, old people, euthanasia. That's why we take care of the elderly. These are Christian principles. Are you listening to me? To take care of those who can't care for themselves because we see the image of God in them. And we know that when the body has been removed, we'll see them. And I think about my friend who has a highly autistic son, and you see his personality coming out as much as it can through the limit limitations of the body. You know, I, I, I told him the other day, I said, just imagine when we get to heaven and the limitation of the body is taken away. And he says to his father, dad, thank you for dressing me up every day. Dad, thank you. Dad, thank you for talking to me. Dad, thank you for taking me out for a ride on your bike. Thank you for every story you told me. I, I heard it. I, I was there, dad. Thank you, you know, because when, when all of us get delivered from our flesh, we'll see things 2020. We'll see things much more clearly. So all the wicked of the earth you discard like dross, therefore I love your statutes. My flesh trembles in fear of you. I stand in all of your laws. How many now got a little sense of the fear of God? Well, I'm not in control. He can discard me quite fast, and my body's quite frail. Who knows when I'll become dementia? Who knows when I'll lose my mind? And you won't know when you do. You ever saw a notebook? You won't know when you do. You know, we were watching my grandmother put the pumpkin into the oven making the turkey. Am I telling the truth, Mom? She put the pumpkin in the oven, right? Amen. You won't know you're doing it. But praise God, there will be good people there that love you, and they'll take care of you, and they'll prepare you to meet meet Jesus in heaven. And one of the last things I said to my grandmother as she was suffering dementia, one of the last things, and she, you know, cognitive conversation, she was there, is I said, though the earthly body goes away, it is, we are receiving a greater glory to come. Though we're wasting away, there's a greater glory to come. This is why it's important, because everything else turns to delusion. Can I hear an amen? I have no more time to go through these different introductions, but I have so many things here. Can I just scroll through them, and you guys just go, ah, as I scroll through them? Uh, here they are. Here are all these other things I had to talk about, all these other scriptures. 
Let me just show you guys this story in closing today. What brings hopelessness? Hopelessness comes from doubt and unbelief, physical sickness and fatigue, sorrow and mental anguish, rejection and broken relationships, unfulfilled desires and failures. Okay, we're all going to feel it. Remember, it's a stimuli from the body. It's telling us things aren't right. Things aren't going good. You're not going to want to release serotonin into your body when they just told you your mom died, okay? Obviously, this is how it works. But how you go through that will determine what your brain will do. Because remember, you're not your brain. You can observe your brain. Let me tell you the story here quickly in closing. This is a story about a man that was caught in North Korea by doing uh, Christian missionary work. His name was Pastor Lim. He was put into a concert concentration camp. From the first day of my detainment in late 2015 to the day I was released, I ate 2,757 meals in isolation by myself. It was difficult to see when and how the entire ordeal would end. During the winter, I had to dig holes that measured one meter wide and one meter deep. The ground was frozen. The mud was so hard that it took two days to dig one hole. It was incredibly challenging. How many are glad you're not doing that today? My upper body was sweating. My fingers and toes were frostbitten. I also worked inside of a cold storage facility. How many are healthy today? You're not working in a coal mine. Breaking apart coal. He said, in the spring and summer, I worked outside eight hours a day, scorching sun under the constant, wa- ga- constant watch of two guards. Lim then reported that all the hard labor took on his body, causing him to lose 50 pounds, being hospitalized four times, the first time for two months. Hospitalized, okay? But now look at what he says here. Lim said he knew people were praying for him. See, the narrative, he's telling himself. He's not listening to himself. He's telling himself things. He's not letting the 30,000 thoughts in his uh, his brain just take over. He's talking to himself. He's being awoke. He's enlightened to the situation. He knew people were praying for him, and that daily feeling of the loneliness and isolation turned to peaceful solitude with God. Some of you can't find peaceful solitude right now, and you're not in a concentration camp. And you have the audacity to say, this Bible don't work. I got to get sassy before I go. I got to get real. Listen to me. I get so frustrated because I know many of you know my story. I was brought up in a Christian family. I backslid, did some drugs, got arrested a few times. And I tell you, God changed my life. He set me free. And sometimes, even in this church, some of you remind me of the drug addicts I used to go out and reach. And they would say, you don't understand. You're just some white boy from the suburbs. Or, you're, you know, you didn't lose your dad. You had a good... Listen to me, my friends. That sixth grader who takes their life in their uh, closet to the businessman who jumps off off the building, all have one thing in store in common, and that is despair, and it could come to anybody. But why I read this to you is because how dare you say it doesn't work? It works. There is a hope beyond the scope of our limitations, and people who have gone through the darkest valley has seen the light of God. People who have faced the scariest things you would be the most afraid of, torture, aloneness, 2,000 meals alone. He is telling you God was there. The Bible's teaching us it works. How dare we shake our fish to God in the 21st century and say, it doesn't work. I tried it for five minutes. I went to that church and I'm still depressed. How dare we say it doesn't work? Take your spiritual medicine. Start to become enlightened in your soul. I'm going to show you how to do it at the end. I'm going to show you. It's so simple. I'm going to teach you the ancient way. Are you guys ready? While I was laboring, I prayed without ceasing. I wonder if that has something to do with what I'm going to teach you. While I was laboring. While he was what? What is today or what is tomorrow? 
While I was laboring, I prayed without ceasing. I did not have a day of gloom. I did not have one day of gloom. Some of you are waiting until you've been pimp slapped and beaten by the devil for a year. And then you're saying, you'll cry for help. We'll take you now. But I want to talk to some of you before day two even happens. You better look that devil right in the eye and say, get out of here in the name of Jesus. I want some people up in this church to start claiming every day is a good day with Jesus. Amen. As long as I am here, every day is a good day with Jesus. It's about time you get some tenacity in your heart. I will see this world through the eyes of Christ. I will be enlightened to the hope and his glorious inheritance. And for the power that raised Christ from the dead, I will believe it is on the inside of me. There is hope, there is an inheritance, and there is power. And so that means if all of our worst fears happened, if all of us died of cancer, all of us got tortured, all of us saw the ship sink, we still have something that the devil can't touch, and that is the world to come where Christ rules and reigns in every way and everything. And I will not trade, and everybody listen to me, I will not trade the internal inheritance for 80 years of hell on earth. Make up your mind. I will not trade it. I won't trade one day for hell on earth, and I won't certainly trade this life for the life to come. And here are just some scriptures I'm just going to read in closing just as quick as I can. Do you not know Isaiah 40, 28? Band, would you come, please? Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary. His understanding no one can fathom. You see, you may not understand how God can work it all out together, but you are literally an ant compared to him. He sees the whole picture of humanity, and he will work out everything for you your good. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Verse 29, he gives strength to the weary, increases the power of the strength of the weak. Even the youths grow tired and weary. Young men may stumble and fall, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on the wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary, walk and not faint. There is a promise from our God in every single situation. I'm with you, and I will never leave you. Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope in the future. Even when Job lost everything, that's what I'm telling you. Job lost everything but went right back at it again because you are not determining your identity and value based upon the things on this earth. That's why I told you, I never gave my first wife to me, so if she died, why am I not going to get another one? I never got my first child. I didn't create Lucas. If I lose him, I'm going to go make five more. Why? Because as long as there's things to do, I'm going to do it, and I never gave it to me to begin with. You didn't give yourself this existence. Don't let this job hold you back. Go get 10 more jobs. Say to yourself, I will live for God. See, because what we do is we draw all these lines and say, well, you know, I can handle this situation, but if it went that bad, I wouldn't be able to handle it. No, just draw the line and say, God, on this side, with him and I, the entire world can perish. I'm following him. And then you can enjoy every day with your wife and kids. 
You see, Corey Tim Boone got arrested and put into concentration camps. She was the only one who lived. I think maybe her sister did. Her, 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 her sister and, her, and herself lived. But she, her dad died, her mom died, and, and a brother died in concentration camps because they were hiding the Jewish people. And she said, don't you hold on to things so tightly that when God takes them, you can't let go. She had to let her dad go die in a concentration camp. Not let in the sense like she wanted it, but she had no control over it. Imagine that. You're a kid. You're eight years old, like my Bethany back there. You're eight years old, and dad comes to you. Hey, there is a crazy world right now going on. There's crazy stuff. They're killing people because of who they are, nationality. We're going to start hiding them under the boards of our kitchen. So I can't have you talking about this with the friends in your school. And don't think it's weird because we got people living under the boards of our house. And then imagine watching your dad get arrested. Are you listening to me? Never saw him again. She didn't live with regret. What was the last words I said to my dad? I wish I would have said some poem. No, dad got arrested, never saw him again, died in a concentration camp. Don't you hold on to things so tight. God can't take them out your hands. He gives and he takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I know the plans I have for you. You will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. Anyone who is among the living has hope. Even a living dog is better than a dead lion. Somebody say amen. I'll end on this one. A bruised reed. Here's what Jesus said. Oh, it was a prophecy about Jesus. I love my Jesus. No one's like my Jesus. This was a prophecy about him. A bruised reed he will not break. And a smoldering wick he will not snuff out till he has brought justice through victory. In his name, the nations will put their hope. Can I end with this today? You may feel like you are a bruised reed. You may feel like you are a candle just about ready to go out. And you may think God does not have a plan for you. God does not love you. You've been damaged goods. Your life's been hurtful or painful. And I want you to hear this promise that he, he loves you and he is an expert at this. He is an expert at fixing the reed in such a way so it doesn't break. He is an expert at starting the fire again. That's what he does. There's no one, there's no psychology that can do that. No, no counselor that can do that. And so if you are fatherless today, he says, I'm the father of the fatherless. If you say you are oppressed today, he is the helper of the oppressed. You say you're walking through a valley today, he's saying he's your shepherd. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. Can we stand up today and give it up for Jesus? Amen. There is hope beyond the scope of everything we face. Now, you guys ready to do this? Okay, now I want you to put one leg up here. The other, no, I'm kidding. You ready to do some meditation? You want to see how hard it is? No, I'm kidding. It's so easy. Let's just close our eyes, which, by the way, you don't have to do. Closing my eyes just helps me concentrate better, but you can sometimes just check out while you're on a walk. Make sure you don't cross the street, but I have a prayer walk path that I go on. When with my eyes open, I'll go internal. Now let's use our imagination. Let's awaken our imagination right now because some of you may be tired. Think of the funnest place you've ever been in life and put yourself there in that experience. We're just awakening our imagination. No big deal. Just we're here today. We're aware. We're aware of ourselves. We are creatures of God with self-awareness, free will. You're not a creature of instinct. You're deciding. You're picking that place. Nothing is picking it for you. Okay. 
Now, here's how I suggest we learn to become awakened to hope. This is a specific message today. Next week, come to inheritance, and the week after that, power. But we're going to practice it right now for hope. I want you to put yourself with the imagination in your mind's eye into the most difficult position of your life right now. Uh, Is it a job? Is it working with people that just don't like you, you don't get along with? Is it certain um, situations? Maybe it's financial. Put yourself at your desk looking at your bills, okay? Use your imagination. Put yourself in the place of the most difficult situation. Now we're going to do what even the world says to do, but we're going to do it better with the power of God. We're going to put the Word of God on that situation right now, that scary situation that might even... Oh, triggered you a little bit, made you feel a little anxious. Oh, man, I got to go to court Tuesday. Oh, you know, my, my um, you know, ex-husband, whatever. Oh, you just, oh, okay. Put yourself there in the courtroom, wherever it's at. Let's go. And now start speaking the word over that situation. Right now, speak the word. Release the serotonin. Release the physical stimuli through the word. Start speaking it. Now, some of you, you want to feel good before you speak good, and it's the opposite. You've got to speak and think good before you feel good. And so it's a, it's a process of discipline. We're not just doing it one time. As the man said, as I labored, I pray. Okay? You're speaking the word. So for me, I'm going to go to my most difficult situation, um, handling a problem in the church, and now I'm going to start speaking the word over that person. Lord, help me to love my enemy. Forgive them though they speak ill against me. Help me to be patient with them, right? I'm speaking the word. Now use your imagination and do this. Ask God's love to transform that situation. You're okay if he doesn't. You're safe, right? You're safe even if it doesn't work out the way you're picturing it. But in your heart, you're saying, God, I could picture this working out this way. If it doesn't, I'm going to go back and pray and I'm going to stay faithful. Remember the guy, he had 2,000 270 some meals by himself but every day Lord I thank you for this meal and next time I'm going to eat it with my kids Lord I thank you for this meal and next time I'm going to eat it with my kids one day he got to eat the meal with his kids what if he would have died there he would have met his kids in heaven he would have ate the next meal with his kids come on here it is word and love now open your eyes do you have faith to believe that's what you do Every day, I do that on average for 10 to 15 minutes. Like I said, I usually have a prayer walk. I'm just walking, and then I'll just check out in my mind. I'm like, okay, I got to handle this situation. Okay, I'm going through this. And I'll just say, God, I need you in this. Okay, your word said that you'll never leave me, forsake me. You said you'll prosper me. You'll make my enemies even bless me, Lord. So I pray you turn this person, you know, towards my favor. And then I'll just say, God, and I see your love in this situation. I know you love me. You care about me. And God, I trust that this can work. But even if it doesn't, I'm still going to love you. Like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, even if I die here, I'll die for you, Jesus. So I'm good, but I love you, and I want to let you know I love you. What do you think that does? What do you think that does according to neuroscience? You've released the stress. You've had the empathy. You've given the problem over. And what happens in the spiritual realm, the most important realm? You've gotten free from a spirit of bitterness. You've gotten free from a spirit of anger. You've gotten free from depression, anxiety. And now guess what this happens? These tests become your what? 
your testimonies. And so that's why now many of you look at me and you say, well, pastor, you got it so easy because all you see is God's glory, but you don't know my story. You don't know where I came from to get where I am now. I had to go on some prayer walks, be enlightened to some things that I couldn't see, and believe God. Y'all, y'all ain't saying nothing. I had to have a belief that we would fill up a church when I was in a home Bible study. I had to believe that we could bring in 20000 a month when we couldn't even bring in $200. Come on. I had to believe that we could have a Bible college when I had people that didn't even want to go preach the gospel. You're going to get some testimonies out of this. You're going to have some glory up in your life. And then you can tell that story. Are you all ready to go? Because you've got a life to live now, don't you? You've got hope, don't you? Go back and listen to the message. It will be on the app. Share it with others. Tell them to take their time. Get some popcorn. Because they, don't, want, they you know, don't miss anything here. Go back and re-listen to it because it's important. I've got more scriptures up there. God, I pray as we go today, we live it. We all need hope, and we've got to fight for it and have faith in it, in your word and in your love, and we declare it today in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. God bless you. Give it up for Jesus. You are dismissed. Thank you for a great day. Have a wonderful weekend. Prayer workers, come on up. If you need prayer, come to these prayer workers. Otherwise, you can worship and hang out in the after party. Have a wonderful day. We say, Jesus, you're the greatest love of all. You're the greatest love of all. You're the greatest love of all. And you call me out by name. Yes, you call me out by name. And I'll never be the same. Oh, I'll never be Jesus, Jesus, you're the greatest love of all. You're the greatest love of all. You're the greatest love of all. You've called, call me out by name. Yes, you call me out by name. And I'll never be the same. No, I'll never be. You bring hope. You bring hope to the hopeless in your love. Please, you bring hope to the hopeless, and your cross brings fullness. You bring hope to the hopeless, and your cross brings fullness. You bring hope to the hopeless. Come on, keep singing it out. Your hope. You bring hope to the hopeless, and your cross brings hope. One more time, and then just the drums and the voices. Yes, Lord. Come on. You bring hope to the hopeless, and your cross brings hope. You bring hope to the hopeless, and your cross brings hope. Jesus, you're the greatest love of all. You're 
You're the greatest love of all. You're the greatest love of all. And you call me out by name. And you call me out by name. And I'll never be the same. Oh, I'll never say his name, Jesus. Jesus, you're the greatest love of all. You're the greatest love of all. You're the greatest love of all. You call me out by name. Yes, you call me out by name. And I'll never be the same I'll never be the same You bring hope to the hopeless And your cross brings wholeness You bring hope to the hopeless And your cross brings You bring hope, hope to the hopeless And your cross brings In your cross, it's making people whole, it's making us whole. You bring hope to the hopeless, and your cross brings wholeness. Bring hope to the hopeless, his name is destinies being birthed in this place. Oh, there are destinies being birthed in this after party right now. If you're hearing me, you're meant to be here right now. Your life will never be the same again. Oh, this is the great romance. This is the great adventure. We are living out the Bible. We are the disciples of Christ in the land of the living. We're seeing the miracles. We're seeing the life transformations. This is an amazing time to be alive. Yes, it's a dark time in our world. Yes, there is trouble everywhere. But God has called us to know Him and make Him known. To bring forth His enlightenment to the world. To literally turn on the light. To turn on the light. Where are you at, Northwestern? Lord, I pray for Northwestern Hospital, for the light to turn on with the doctors, the nurses, the custodians, 
those who service people. We pray that hospitals will be done by your will, for your glory. Treating people as human beings made in the image of God. Lord, let cures come from that hospital. Let inventive medical ideas come from that place. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Come on, to the deaf community, raise up your hands. Come on, raise up your hands for the deaf community. For them to hear the gospel. For Jerry to be a witness to those who can't hear with earthly ears. May their heart hear the love of God through the gospel. May their lives be changed. Jesus. Come on, Adam, speak out your school over the mic, please. Mansueto High School. Say it one more time. Mansueto High School. Yes, Lord. We pray for this high school. Mansueto? Yes, Lord, in the name of Jesus. We pray for this new school to have new ideas, for them to implement new things to bring about change in our young people. We pray for creativity. We pray for enlightenment. We pray, Lord, for new students to arise with new goals and dreams to establish the new Chicago. Lawrence, I pray for the teenagers right now for the youth group, Elevate. Destinies to be birthed. Lives to be changed. People to be changed.